Good morning, Internet. Welcome aboard, everybody, for the next episode of the What's Your Issue weekly comic book reviews podcast, the People's Comic Book Reviews podcast. This is episode number 14, and I am actually awake for probably the first podcast in a long time. Typically, when we record, uh, it is uh, at best uh, 9.30 p.m. at night, um, often later, and by that point, I have usually been up for about 18 to 20 hours, so... Um, this is a, uh, uh, a weird change. We, we made some schedule adjustments cause, cause I had some other, uh, internet content production stuff going on yesterday. Um, and then we're trying to jam this in between, uh, this and another obligation, um, that I have, but it, it worked out a little bit cause we both had some availability here, uh, in the late morning. So with me as always is my Saltwork co-host, Mr. Stephen Lord. How you doing, Stephen? Doing good. Just a little tired. Good. Yeah, so we're on. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah, we have opposite biological clocks. So this recording instance is one where I am more awake. Um, it is perhaps one where Steven is less awake. So hopefully, uh, we will balance each other out just in the opposite direction. In case you didn't know, in case you haven't watched the podcast before, this is a spoilery type reviews podcast. We will leave no detail untouched. Should we so choose? We may not, we may choose not to cover everything in the comic, but uh, everything is fair game. So if you haven't completed reading your books for some reason on the Tuesday before New Comic Book Day, sweet Christmas, man. Put your thing down and go read them and then come back. Uh, and what we do on this here show is in the review segment, we cover six comics from DC Marvel or Tier 2 or Tier 3 publishers every once in a while in indie. We review them in excruciating detail, and then we wrap that up and call the best book that we read for the preceding shipping Wednesday, then talk about our, uh, sorry. Motion to so, my, uh, my echo here is tied into my uh, ring doorbell. So, uh, and, uh, and usually we record at night, so nobody's coming up to my doorbell. <laughs> so you never hear it. Um, so, uh, and then we move on to talk about, we call the best thing that we read the preceding shipping Wednesday, and then move on to talk about any honorable mentions that we have. Those are books that we scored an 8.0 or above on our 10 point by half point rating scale. And then we wrap it up by telling you what we are pulling the following shipping Wednesday, which is usually in a day or two from our recording so that you have an idea of what to expect from us. The, uh, uh, the, uh, the next podcast. Sorry. Um, so I, uh, Put the blasted note for this somewhere else than I usually would have. Uh, so first up on the agenda tonight, and I'm scrambling this a bit. I realize now, Stephen, I didn't. The reason I got confused here was because I didn't uh, update the agenda with the final uh, scramble. Um, the first book we're going to cover this week is Star Wars number 59. Uh, story by Kieran Gillen, art by Angel Uzueta, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Um, so overall, I wasn't too particularly crazy about this issue. Um, it was fine. Motion detected uh, at the front door. Alert your food is here. Alert I'm just going to have to unplug it. Sorry, I tried turning it down, and then I remembered. <laughs> the way I have the routine built is every time... Every time the doorbell trips, it automatically resets the volume to maximum. <laughs> so <clears throat> undone by the skill of my own automation, uh, I am. Um, 
So this uh, comic continues the story of uh, of the of the big three, the triumvirate triumvirate in the Star Wars universe of Leia, um, Han, and uh, and Luke on the planet Cuban. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and in this issue, um, Luke in the preceding issue, Luke had finished building his uh, communications uh, transponder, which. Uh, he had built it because they wanted to get off the planet. So if you haven't kept up with this, a few issues ago, they uh, jettisoned escape pods to get away from the Empire, landed on a relatively um, reclusive planet filled with a kind of tribal society of warriors. Um, they have been learning from them and also earning their keep on the planet. Um, but last issue, we started to see some fragmentation. So Luke had built... Uh, a um, communications transponder to try and call a ship to the planet since the planet was only visited by a supply ship once every six months or so. Uh, Luke itching to get back to the rebellion and continue the fight with the Empire decided that it was worth the potential risk uh, to the planet's inhabitants to uh, to call the transponder. Um, Leia, we also found out at the last issue, has been working on a whole tactical plan to return to the planet that uh, betrayed them to the Empire and uh, and basically remove them as an economic factor and power center for the Empire. So we pick up with that story here. Uh, Luke is going through a lot of uh, conflict resolution with the, uh, with the tribe leader's daughter, uh, a woman who he has had a certain degree, has shown a certain degree of attraction to. Um, we also uh, get some uh, comical interludes. Uh, you know, th- th- this is a story I will say that, you know, one thing I did like about it is it's a story where we get a lot of um, kind of very, very pointed highlighting of Han Solo, which I think I feel like is the way um, to do it. You know, it's not a lot of lingering panels and scenes on Han because as a character, he only has so much to contribute and he actually works best when you get him in small doses. Um we get he and Leia in her bedchamber um, going over the tactical plan, and then he mentions that he's surprised that that's what she was working on, or it was that he's surprised that that's what she called him up there for. And she said, well, what did you think I was working on? And he said, well, I kind of thought, you know, young lady, late night, ladies' bedchamber, uh, at which point Leia promptly kicks him out. So we get a, a couple points of comic relief here. We get another scene where he bumps into someone at the bar and spills the guy's drink and offers to replace it. Uh, but apparently on Cuban, the way that they handle spilling a man's drink is to have a good old fashioned gunfight. So, uh, um, <clears throat> so that happens. Uh, Han pulls the oldest trick in the book by getting the guy to look elsewhere and then promptly uh, shoots him uh, in stun. The, the other uh, stick of this comic is that there's kind of nothing that the heroes can do right. It's like everything that they do uh, winds up offending the daughter in particularly. Um, eventually we find out that Luke, what didn't really signal the uh, transponder because um, the tribal leader had, was actually um, uh, jamming it. And so he was just testing Luke to see what he would do. Han kind of failed his test of character um, uh, by, uh, by pulling the distraction because these guys are all about honor. So, uh, we, we end up the book uh, in the story with the Scar Squadron showing up. And I don't know if everybody's familiar with these, but these guys um, 
there were a couple of issues or at least one in particular, I think back when Charles soul was maybe doing the book, uh, where was, um, Jason Aaron. Okay. All right. Where, uh, this, uh, squadron of kind of spec op stormtroopers, um, were, were the centerpiece of the story. And one of the big reveals at the end of that issue was that one of the stormtroopers was a former, uh, uh, Jedi acolyte and still had his lightsaber. Uh, so apparently in these issues I didn't re- read, um, <clears throat> the squadron came into contact with Luke. I'm sorry, give me just one second. Okay, so I'm on the back side of that cold, and I still have a lot of uh, phlegm and stuff. Um, but uh, apparently the squadron came into contact with the heroes, and they have apparently fought them before. Um, so when they show up on the planet, uh, the heroes are itching for a fight. Uh, the tribal leader's daughter winds up taking out Han and Leia, and so the way that the situation is going to be resolved is in a lightsaber duel between Han and the stormtrooper, which is kind of a good potential result because um, the stormtrooper never completed his Jedi training, and Luke is on the the upwards arc of his. Uh, on art in this issue, we still have the matter of the fact that the the facial portraits for the uh, for the, for the characters that actually appeared in the movies appear to be you know drawn over. Uh, you know, photos that have been drawn over. Uh, however, I still kind of like Uzweta's style, um, and I like LaRocca's before as well. Um, it's a, there's a really great uh, kind of portrait splash page when the Scar Squadron shows up. Um, admittedly, there's not a ton of other uh, really particularly amazing art uh, on display in the issue. It, there, there's a couple issues. There's a couple points where how Han is articulated during the gunfight. Just looks very unnatural and certainly doesn't look like the kind of uh, if you ever observed Harrison Ford's body language as Han Solo when he was kind of in gunslinger mode. Uh, it, it looked very much like an old West cowboy. It was very loose, very languid. Um, and uh, it, it was a methodology that, you know, not only gunfighters, but lots of people use to kind of fully relax uh, their muscles so that they're not tense before they go into um, some type of combat. So at the end of the day, I rated this comic a 6.0 out of 10 for me personally. It was fine. It just didn't really move me. And when I was done reading my stack, and I I read this, this was the second to last book that I read. And when I was done reading it, I just kind of felt not empty, not betrayed, and not not like something was stolen from me, but I just felt kind of meh. I was kind of like, oh, I could have taken that or left it. and the other thing is, other than the Han pieces, the, the best thing that's gone on in this particular arc in Star Wars has been when we have gotten these small little scenes that really poignantly highlight the most critical aspects of of of, of the of the primary three characters. You know, the these scenes that with a one liner or something, it reveals something very uh, razor pointed about the makeup of their character, whether it is their character as a whole or or interestingly. Um, about their character at this point, and when you consider it of the context of being in between episode four and episode five, it makes complete sense and enriches the mythology that we previously known today. I didn't really feel that we got any of that out of this issue. So, Stephen, you read this. How did you feel about this issue of Star Wars? I gave it an eight point zero. I actually enjoyed it. Um, 
I just like the way Kieran Gillen writes all the characters. It it looks like he's pretty well involved with the knowing the characters of the Star Wars universe. He he really knows how to write the characters, and um, I do like that Luke and the the woman that he had interest in are having their first drama right now. <laughs> so it's pretty interesting that because they were. I know they were flirting with each other in the first couple of issues, and now they're actually arguing with each other. So it was a mm-hmm. nice change of pace and different dynamic from the previous issues. And and uh, I I I'm glad that the um the stormtroopers that the one that the Jason Aaron created the whole crew of stormtroopers are. Uh, are going to appear in the next issue this time around because uh, they didn't get that much development and I didn't like the issues that they were in and they they have such interesting designs and I wish they were written better so hopefully Kieran Gillen does a better writing than what Jason Aaron did so I like I I'm glad to see them coming around again so um. Yeah, I actually enjoyed this issue, and I'm hoping to see what the next issue will be about. Very cool. I, I will agree with you there. I, you know, the big the big climactic swell of the book that that did uh, make me very interested was the arrival of the Scar Squadron. I, I feel like that's a yeah, just like you said, that's a that's a squadron that you could that's a meaty plot device that you could really do yeah. a lot with. Um, and kind of is, is one of those things that was created in the comics that you would really like to see pop up in a show or a movie. Uh, let's move on to the second thing in the review section rundown. Can you talk to us about Archie meets Batman 66, number six? Yeah, this is a final issue. It was a, it was a crossover um, with Archie and Batman 66. This is written, it's written by Jeff Parker and Michael Walkery. Um, Penciler is Dan Dan Parent. Um, inker is Jay Bone, and colors is Kelly Fat, Fat Patrick. I mean Fitzpatrick. No, Fat. Sorry about that, Fitzpatrick. And uh, Jack Morrow is is the letters. Um, this book is is usually about um the the bat the villains of but from Batman 56, like the Joker, Riddler, Catwoman, Penguin, and um, Siren, they try to mind control the 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 parents of Archie. They end up going to Riverdale, and they end up trying to mind control all the the all the older people, and they didn't get to they didn't get the mind control device to control um younger um um teenagers which is why the um the Archie students are helping Batman and Robin and Batgirl um during this issue uh Bat- Batman is already captured by the villains and and now it's up to Robin and Batgirl and the Archie kids to the kids at Riverdale to, uh, save, to save, um, Batman and the rest of their, their, 
teachers and, and parents that are mind controlled by the villains. And uh Archie, Betty Ronica and Jughead and I think Reggie, Reggie, I forgot his name, but um, they they all team up and uh, they all team up and decide to dress as superheroes and try to go save uh, save Batman and the rest of the people and they end up do saving them and they end up fighting all the um heroes I mean not heroes the villains and um um so yeah they end up saving the day and Bat- they end up saving Batman and he they continue to fight him off and they was able to break the mind control device and and I guess see they call the cops to uh arrest the villains and send them to um to Gotham City. So yeah, that's pretty much it. This is the final issue of the of the mini series, and I gave it a um I gave it a seven point five because it was just a an action type of issue, and I thought it was okay for it. Because there wasn't that, I wish they did the whole bam wham thing, but they just kind of rushed it and they didn't do any of those effects. I wish they did, but they didn't. Um, but I still enjoyed the issue. I did like that, um, all the Archie characters decided to dress as superheroes because they dress as the superheroes that they usually, um, dress as and they're, and they're, um, franchise, I guess you can say. Cause I really don't know the, 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 I don't really don't know too much about Archie, but I do know that they have their own, like, superhero identities, like, for those special superhero issues that they have. And I, I don't know the, their superhero names, but they have, I see the costumes and they pretty much are well known. I can see them from just, I can know it by just looking at it, because I've seen it so often. But yeah, it was pretty interesting to see that, and this was a, a just a, a issue, a series that just you can just read and be entertained by. It's not there's no deep story or anything too complex. It's just simple fun, and I actually enjoy that. So yeah, that's why I gave it a seven point five. Yeah, and this is one of the things I struggle with a little bit with Archie, and it's a weird place, too, because just like you said, like, there's typically not, like, an overly deep story that you really have to dig for and is really a good subject for, you know, highly detailed analysis. The artwork is always kind of in this just below the middle kind of, if I think about comic book art in a spectrum from, like, simple to super complex, it sits in this weird band, like just below like 50, the 50% mark in terms of complexity and detail. And depending on what you like in comic yeah. book art, I, I, I tend to applaud more detailed comic book art. And there's different schools of thought on that. So a lot of times we get to an Archie comic, even when I've read them and I'm like, how do I score this thing? And how do I compare it? Like it just doesn't have to me 
it doesn't have sometimes some of the meat on the bones that I need to feel that it, I like that I should hold it comparable to you know like an, an Alex Ross or a Jim Lee book or whatever. And sometimes that feels a little unfair. I think the the key to me is when the books are written with that nuance that you where you can see some some very savvy choices being made in the story and the art that go beyond simply kind of laying down the railroad track in, in the template of what those books have been set before. So, so yeah, I, I, I get you. They're always interesting things to talk about when they come up um, in our rundown though. Uh, so the next book I want to talk about in the rundown is arguably maybe the most strategically important and relevant comic to release this particular shipping week. Um, and we are talking about the books that ship the 9th of January. And that's Captain Marvel number one. So story by Kelly Thompson, art by Carmen Carnero, colors by uh, Tamara Bonvillan, and letter letters by the great Clayton Cowles, whose name as a letterer comes up almost every issue that we're going to talk about this episode. Um, so this is a weird thing. I am, you know, two or three years now into this track, uh, particularly at Marvel. DC has done it as well. I'm starting to get a little uncertain about how I feel about taking an entirely female creative team and, and putting them on a female lead character book. There was a time that I felt that it was appropriate. There was a time that I felt that was actually an important thing to do. The continuance of it, like three years into it, I'm, I'm not certain because, and I have been a guy who's railed against this notion of, you know, oh, you know, here we go with the minority book, and it's so contrived. You know, they're making something out of a character. I'm like, well, shut up. That's that's what comics are. Editorial makes choices and decisions about the product that they're going to sell, mm. and they make deliberate choices. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean they're making something out of nothing? That's every comic book is is nothing until editorial decides that they want to make it a prominent thing in the in the publishing lineup. So, but the the question to me is. Captain Marvel is highly relevant and is a highly accepted character in both the Marvel universe and, and now as we prep to see her entrance into the cinematic continuity, there's no doubt that she's gained traction, in my opinion. She's one of my favorite characters. She's been a Horizon character in the Marvel universe for the last two to three years. It's actually kind of crazy when I thought about it. I mean, she is, as far as I know... I mean, in, in, in my age, in the modern era, you know, of, of like the 1980s forward, I don't know of anybody who has held the reins of the Avengers for as long continuously as she has. Um, so, 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 so here we are. She has, and I haven't kept up with her since the last uh, a single issue um, continuing that she had, uh, when she has apparently been on sabbatical for the last year. Um, she has been out in space. Um, her her mother uh, her mother died. Her brother was critically injured and was also targeted for for murder. Um, and now she has returned to Earth. Um, this was a pretty pretty interesting and uh, relatively wonderful issue. It was something different than I was expecting, uh, and that much is absolutely certain. Um, there's there's a question as this book goes on, and, and we have 
several of these. We have these. I feel like we have these more in DC than in Marvel, where there is an ongoing that is a single character, but the reality is it's really like another Justice League book, <laughs> right? Um, because so many members of the Justice League are featured so prominently in the ongoing. That's what we definitely have here in this initial issue. You get you get Captain Marvel. You, you get Marvel's version of the Triumvirate. You get uh, Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man all showing up in an action sequence about the middle to the end of the book. Um, you have a conversation with Tony Stark. Uh, you have Hazmat, who, um, if anybody remembers, uh, I, did, I don't remember seeing prominently since the whole thing about uh, Murder World, um, where Arcade captured a bunch of young Avengers and a bunch of new mutants and trapped them on an island in a Hunger Games-type scenario. Um uh, and then you have James Rhodes, uh, and you, and you have Spider Woman, Jessica, uh, Jessica Drew. Um, so you have all these characters sprinkled out. You have a lot of discussion about what Captain Marvel has been doing. I think it's very funny that, uh, in, in one of the early sequences, uh, she has a meeting with Tony Stark, who's like been pinging her via email, uh, and tells her to come in for a discussion, and she comes in. They, they talk about how happy they are to have her rejoining the Avengers. And then Tony says, but there's just one thing you, you have to go through an interview. So I thought that was so great. And so very, it's a little deconstructionist, right? The, the notion that, you know, in order to rejoin a company that she still has to go through the formality of an interview, she can't just be hired, um, which is a thing that we often see out in industry. And it's always a question of whether or not it's a real interview or it's just academic or whether or not, you're, you know, it's, you're told that it's a, it's just a pencil whip, but then you go in there and it's, it's actually like a serious critical review of whether or not you're going to be allowed to rejoin. Um, so I thought that was very, uh, very interesting. Um, there's a lot of great banter between her and Tony Stark, a lot of great banter between her and Hazmat, a lot of it very kind of Whedon-esque um, in the wittiness of it. Uh, in, in, in the issue, like I said, she returns and opens with a big action sequence with her and Jessica Drew Um Again, a lot of kind of great dialogue between them, uh, kind of girlfriends and, you know, Spider-Woman being so happy that she's back from being in outer space and going to grab coffee, et cetera. Uh, we also get a lot of the grit and, de- and deter- de- uh, determination um, that we associate with the character of uh, Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers as a reference to her powers having been taken by Rogue, which I felt was always kind of interesting. Um, and then... Uh, you know, while out for her interview with, um, which it turns out is actually with a member of the press. I, I had this thought when Tony mentioned it, that it was going to be with like a panel of the Avengers. Um, but, uh, a villain shows up for no other reason, just to challenge Captain Marvel on the merits of her reputation. Uh, the nuclear man who, uh, James Rhodes, uh, later mentions, uh, might be a, former Fantastic Four villain referred to as Machismo, who I'm not familiar with because I'm not a big Fantastic Four reader. But uh, but basically the two of these uh, throw down in downtown New York. And then uh, and then uh, escape into a portal. So um, on art, uh, everything is very well choreographed. Uh, and in the end, splash page shows Carol now off in another dimension, apparently having gathered together a set of revolutionaries to take on whatever great dictatorship is apparently ruling this dystopian future or whatever 
the story is going to be. Um, the other thing, the thing that I like most in the story is the reconnection between her and James Rhodes. Uh, these are two characters who were both taken off the chessboard. Uh, Rhodes was taken off during Civil War II, where he was killed, and we had a whole big funeral. Now he's back, which obviously, you know, makes his whole passing of a little less importance, which is unfortunate because uh, his passing was actually a big deal in the Marvel Universe with the passing of an African-American character and how that was dealt with. Um, the, the, the reuniting with the Avengers and the, the fact that everybody has great respect for her, but isn't simply willing to have her come back. It's a little weird in continuity too. And again, you know, we, we tend to not make ginormous deals of those. Well, we tend to either make not ginormous deals of them or very big ginormous deals about it. Uh, but obviously she has been, she has featured recently in issues like within the past month, two months where she was still the leader of alpha flight um, and the Avengers, uh, and I guess whatever constitutes S.H.I.E.L.D. these days. Um, but, but according to the opening of this book, apparently she's been off the, the planet for a year. So um, there's bits and pieces of that story that maybe weren't completely uh, pieced together with sufficient exposition in these pages. The, I don't want to say the disappointing thing. The, the, the thing that's a little unfortunate maybe is, um, and, and I'm not familiar with Carmen Carnero's work, and the work is fine. It's definitely professional grade and, it's definitely, you know, indicative of, you know, when you make it to the bigs and doing professional made comics, but it didn't, the, the art didn't do a whole lot for me. And there are issues that we saw this week, um, you know, issues, recent issues that we've seen of Justice League, uh, the art in Batman number, in Batman number 62 and other recent issues of Batman. Uh, you know, there's, it, it was up against a lot of competition this week for me. Um, and I didn't find the art particularly moving. Um, so it, it almost didn't break out uh, as a significant issue, but I kind of went back and looked at it a little bit. I wasn't super happy with the creature work in the opening pages. Um, but at the end of the day, I wound up giving this comic an 8.0. So it did kind of cross the threshold of being a uh, s- significant comic to be comic to be considered among some of the above average books that wind up landing on publishing shelves and uh, in comicsology. So, uh, Stephen, did you? I'm pretty sure you read this issue. Did you have thoughts on it? Yeah, I had thoughts on it. I actually enjoyed it. I gave it an 8.0. It was pretty average to me, and um, I did like the banter between uh, Tony Stark and and Carol Danvers. I know they have a a friendship type of relation, uh, friendship type of relationship for. Quite a long time. I don't know how long it's been, but I know they've been friends for a very long time. And I know Civil War Two broke that up, but now they're back to being friends again. And um, I do like that. Uh, Ham is that was in this issue as well. I haven't seen her for a very long time since the Avengers Undercover. I don't think she has appeared any time after that and I would like to see what how she I know she was having some PTSD moments but I wonder if they're gonna dive deep into it even more in this Captain Marvel series and um yeah I'm hoping that she's able to recover from it I noticed her I'm not sure if he I have to check if he died or not um her boyfriend was I know she had a love interest and, and Avengers Undercover and it was like 
it was, I think it's a character with the red skin skeleton. I forgot his name. It's been a while. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to get my, gather my thoughts here. Um, so yeah, I'm glad to see Spider Woman is also in the book because she's also another fr- long time friend of Carol Danvers and, also, they like that James Rhodey was gonna um, end up being in this book too, because um, that was Captain Marvel's love interest, and it looked like they're trying to get back together. I'm not sure they are, but um, usually when a new writer comes in, they forget the previous um love interest. They just like don't even mention it or don't even bring them around. So I'm glad that this writer Kelly Thompson was able to. Keep the continuity of Captain Marvel floating, flowing. It looked like she's, she's well in the know of the continuity that Captain Marvel's had for, for the past books. And I did like the mentioning of the previous mini series that they just had, just ended like December. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So. I am not gonna on. I'm not onboarding this into my regular recurring pull list just yet. Um, we did agree on the final score. Uh, like I said, we both gave it an 8.0. Um, I guess mine mine was more of a. I mean, for me, it, it was a man. This book could have been even better. Um, it, it it sounds like for you, it was a man. This trying to figure out a way to reverse that. Like you were like you 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 enjoyed it, but then maybe. Maybe struggle yeah. to find a thing that uh, that would pitch it even higher than the 8.0. Oh. I I gave I gave it an 8.0 because this is action issue. I just like the the character conversations. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I felt the most important thing in the whole story was um, bringing James Rhodes back into it and establishing that that link between the two of them because I think a lot of writers try to deal with Captain Marvel. And again, I sometimes it does work well, and it is important. But tr- so many writers try to deal with her as a non-romantic character. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think that's good. I, like, I, I felt like the Wonder Woman movie struck the right balance in like how do you make a, a, a lead female character predominantly a warrior, but still give that ten percent of attention to the fact that you know she has feelings and she is interested um, in relationships. Um, and maybe hopefully they can find that same balance with Captain Marvel here. Uh, the next book I want to talk about in the rundown is uh, Deathstroke number 39, a book that I was uh, not quite as pleased with as I was with Captain Marvel. Um, and I would give you all a rundown on, of the situation, but, man, I don't know if I can. This is almost as eclectic and confusing a book as I have ever read. Uh, and, and part of it is there's flipping time travel stuff in it. And if you want to make a book complicated and make it less accessible to people, put time travel on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is a thing that, that DC constantly dabbles with. And a lot of times when you do, uh, when, you know, when you've, when you've had it in crisis and, um, and when you had it in like convergence, in, 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 well, no, convergence is definitely not a good example. Sometimes when you keep it clean, it works out okay, but then a lot of times it gets like this. And, and I will say, an even bigger muddle in my mind is uh, what Marvel d- has done with, with the X Men, particularly in the '90s um, in the comics. But at any rate, there's a ton of time travel here, and it's maybe the worst kind. It's it's time travel 
um, on, on a scale of like minutes and days to, to where, you know, rather than having kind of clearly segmented instances of timelines, you have a lot of things that, that fall on top of each other. So, uh, you know, so, so you have Devin in this issue who is a bit uh, of comic relief in, in this comic, uh, has come along to kind of, in some ways, uh, mimic Deathstroke in a lot of ways, but he's like, I don't know, he's like 50% Deathstroke, 50% Deadpool, and when he has a costume that looks very similar to Deadpool's, that also gets confusing. Um, but but the basic gist of it is uh, uh, Slade was apparently... It's so ridiculous, I even hate running it down. Slade was apparently kidnapped by an alien race, taken to the other side of the galaxy, tried to call the Justice League for help, but nobody answered the call. But part of the reason for that is his call was time displaced. He, 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 since he can't get a hold of any superheroes, he calls upon a bunch of villains. They go off to this alien race, um, kick their butt predominantly, but they get yanked back to the present and back to Earth um, before they can finish the job. The whole way the time displacement works is they were only gone for a short period of time, and because of the way radio waves travel through space, his call to help to the Justice League actually arrives after he's already come back. Uh, the only person who remembers this really well, well is this kid, Devin, <clears throat> who I said, like I said, is a, is a bit of comic relief. We get pictures of the Justice League seeing the call come through. Um, but but in, in amongst all this is Dr. Hugo Strange is dorking with his head. So, again, and probably prob- possibly the worst way that comics book, comic books are done is you get this unreliable narrator effect where you're like, Unsure of is this part of Slade's psychosis? How much of this is real? Slade is tricked into killing a female psychiatrist who he's been developing a bond with. We we, we quickly cut to Rose out in northern Vietnam, going through some ritual in a cave about her sword also having been sent back from the future. She's with Two Face, but then we have Two Face back at Arkham um, with Hugo Strange. Uh, the only thing in this that really made perfect and clear sense to me was, uh, somewhat, was Deathstroke's son, um, who has the ability to kind of assume control of other beings. Um, still confusing to me because I thought he had been killed off at some point, but maybe that's just a misnomer that I have because I haven't stayed on Death- the Deathstroke around the entire time. Um, but, but comes into the prison to, to rescue him in, in probably the coolest sequence in the comic. He actually takes over Solomon Grundy, um, which is pretty cool uh, seeing Solomon Grundy come to rescue Deathstroke. And Solomon, I mean, he's Grundy is just wrecking crap coming through Arkham. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Hugo Strange is a very despicable character who I can't stand. And it was nice seeing him get his comeuppance. Deathstroke is about to kill him. But then the kid Devin arrives crashing through the window in a police cruiser um, right before Deathstroke is about to pull the trigger. Devin's whole objective is he needs to get a hold of Slade because these aliens who they didn't finish the job on are actually now on their way to Earth, and he's trying to get Deathstroke to rally the troops since Deathstroke apparently defeated them one time before. Um, and I may not, I apologize, I should have run down the uh, creative team. Uh, there's like 19 different artists on this blasted book. Uh, you have Priest doing the story. Uh, pencils are by uh, Carlo Pagalu, Pagalu, uh, Pagalu, Leon. 
uh, and Fernando Pissarin, inks by Jason Paz and Jordi Terragoda and Wade Von Grabedger, and then colors by Jeremy Cox. Um, that all being said, the, the art is pretty fine. Um, I, I think I was so distracted by trying to keep up with the story that I didn't really nitpick at the art as to whether or not um, there were uh, different artist styles and depictions throughout the book, as we've sometimes gotten in Deathstroke where, you know, when Batman has been a guest, like his costume, like elements of his costume actually look different from page to page. Um, there's actually a lot of good work here when they are in Arkham Asylum in terms of the, the amount of detail and, and the shadowing. Um, even better when you get to that scene in the cave in uh, northern Vietnam. Unfortunately, it's overshadowed by the complete nonsensicalness of the plot line. Uh, you know, this, this is a book which is barely held together. Um, and I'm not overly impressed by uh, how it's scripted. Um, hopefully, I believe maybe when it, there's a big alien battle next issue, maybe it'll tighten up a little, uh, but not the best issue of Deathstroke that I've read since this run started. Uh, at the end of the day, I gave the comic a 7.0 out of 10, uh, kind of barely making the grade to uh, to average in my book. Um. I don't know. Steven, did you read this issue? Yeah, I gave it a 7.0 as well. It just, I was very confused with what was going on in this book. I just, um, even with having two artists that are slightly similar in their art styles, doesn't really help with what's going, what's happening before, what's happening after. And the last issue was much more slightly close like you knew what was going on but here it just didn't work and the whole seeing two face in two places at once i don't understand which why did i see two face in arkham and why did i see two face with um with um say wilson's daughter and i just rose wilson that was her name yeah, yeah. so um yeah i just I, it confused me because I know in the last issue, Two Face was with Rose Wilson the whole entire time, and now in this issue he's also in Arkham, and that confused the hell out of me. I'm not sure that's an artist error there. And no, I mean it was it was supposed to be part of the whole thing about it's a it's a Hugo Strange you know mind trick or whatever, and oh. I did that, but I'm like. But you you could have chosen to depict any character who wasn't really there with Slade, yeah, Wilson, right? I, like it could have been anybody else from Arkham. Deliberately picking it to be Two Face just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. If there was some plot reason to do that, then I would get it. But like I I, I don't, and it just yeah, I know Two Face is better written when he's with Rose, but it just like I don't know, it just confused my brain. Just right, yeah, just I would being in Arkham. Right. It threw me off. And I would have been fine. Like, the scenes with him, with Rose, the few lines that he had, I thought were cool. I guess, I unfortunately, I'm not on this as an ongoing recurrently. Yeah. And it would have been nice to understand how that whole story got pieced together. I think that's an interesting plot point, actually, that, you know, that and, and par, par, I think part of what he mentioned is that he, he was he's actually been cured of his yeah. psychosis. Um, which was it would be very interesting to see a a a, a mentally functional Two Face in the DC yeah, universe. Yeah, I've been wanting to see a mentally um mentally function Two Face for quite a long time because I noticed his character is very flawed. It never made any sense to me in the history of DC comics. It's just 
I'm glad to finally see a more mentally stable Two Face. I know he got cured in Detective Comics okay. with, with um with uh D- James Robinson. He was the okay. one that was before um before um Peter Tomasi. So yeah, I didn't like those issues that well, but I know I did like how he wrote Two Face getting cured. Yeah. And I noticed the Death Show book took that continuity that just happened recently and put it in, in his book. Christopher Peace put it on his book. So I'm kind of glad he's taking things that's happening in other books into his. So yeah, that's the one thing I do like is the way Two Face is written in here. Okay, cool. Well, why don't you go ahead and take us out first by covering, uh, I think it's out of the review section, first by covering, covering uh, Faith Dreamside, number four. And who who is yeah. this book published by? Valiant. Okay, all right, go, yeah, go ahead. Um, okay, so the, what is it, um, yeah, um, the book is, 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 uh, is a mini-series, it's, um, Focusing on the character Faith and, uh, it's also focusing on Animalia, which is another character from the Harbinger, like one of the Harbinger characters that has the power to, um, to make some animal cartoons come to life, something like that. And there's also Mirage, which is a person, uh, who has the ability to talk to ghosts and see ghosts. And which nobody else can actually do. No one can actually see or talk to ghosts like she can. Um, so yeah, in this issue, they're, they're in the, the, the dead side. Oh, I forgot to put the create, say the creative team. Um, the, the writer is Jody Hauser. Artist is, um, MK Kim. Uh, colorist is Jody Belair. Um, Dave Sharp is the letterer. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So, um, this is also a final issue of the miniseries. And, um, in this issue, they're on this, um, world called the, the dead side. And it's just like, a, it's like a kind of like a, a dimension where, uh, I think dead people go to, and it's like more of a, it's a weird dimension. I really don't know the whole full length of it, but I've read it in previous books and I think it's a dimension full of like a dead space kind of um, area. And, um, Dave, um, what is it? Faith and Anomalia and, uh, Mirage and her boyfriend. And there's also a clone of Faith that was in the previous issues that had of, of the Faith ongoing series that had, I mean, that had ended like last year, I think. Um, there, there's a character that, I mean, there was a clone of Faith that ended up dying. So you see her in the dead side world and you see, uh, um, Mirage's husband and, they're there trying to find who, who's the villain that's haunting Anomalia with her. Like he, the, the, the villain was haunting Anomalia with, with her dead friends, like putting, 
like bring sending spirits of like her friends that died in in Generation Zero, which is another series that ended, and yeah, it was haunting her, and they went to go find out who's haunting her, and that's in that side. So they went to that side. They they find out who it was. It's some dragon type of being that was um that was getting stronger and and over centuries in that side, and he wanted to uh. He wants to find his back, his way back into the alive world. And he, the only way he could do that was to try to, I guess, have a connection with Anamalia because she, she else, she had, um, spirits of friend that had passed away recently. And I guess that was one way to con- connect. And, um, they went to go fight him off and they defeated him. They was able to turn him into a little, um, a little baby dragon. He was no longer a big dragon. And after they feed, defeated him, um, they also found out that the, the clone of Faith and, um, Roger's husband was not really in the dead side world. That was just a fake version of them because, um, Roger's husband was actually in the um not in that side he was in the actual real world he was still a ghost spirit but he was in the in the actual earth plane instead of that weird dimension so they after they feed the villain they end up going back to the normal earth plane they longer in that spirit dimension world and they eventually get over the stuff that they went through and I think Faith is ready to be a superhero again and not worry about the the public drama that Harbinger Wars had caused, which everybody's a fugitive now and she's not gonna be worrying about being a fugitive because she was like holding back from being a superhero because um she didn't wanna anybody to go after her because now that she's a fugitive. And but Seeing that everyone is basically a fugitive in the in the Valiant universe, it's I guess it's okay for her to also be a superhero. I mean, when this is going on, so they, that's how this issue ended. I gave it a a seven point five because I did enjoy this miniseries. It's just um, it wasn't much going on. It was just more about Animalia. And I thought that the, the spirits were actually, was actually the, the spirits of the, um, of her friends that passed away in Generation Zero. But we find out that it's not. It kind of disappointed me. And I kind of wish that, 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 that relationship wasn't just a pretend. I wish it was actually, that it was actually those spirits of them in there. This whole dragon thing just kind of ruined it for me. So, yeah, that's why I gave it a 7.5. Okay, very cool. How about the unexpected number eight? Okay. Um, no, 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 I mean, is that what? Yeah, that is it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just trying to take a breather. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, the unexpected number eight is, is um written by Roland Kleikel, um 
and Steve Orlando. Um, I think I think Ron Kleikel is the artist. I don't I don't remember Steve Orlando being an artist. It doesn't say who which one is the artist in the in the book. I don't know why. Um, Jeremy Cox is the colorist. Um, Carlos M. Maguna and Travis Laham is the letters. So is this a is this a DC book? Yes, it is. It's a DC book. It's one of the Dark Knight's Metal spinoffs, but this is okay. the final issue. Cool. So yeah, it was like the one of the, I guess the lesser known, the ones that I guess this wasn't selling well than the other ones, but I still enjoyed it. Um, the this is the final issue of the Unexpected Eight, and um, it's. It's just showing because um the characters in this book um they're also in a different dimension as well, which is like a a, a dimension that's between uh multiverses they end up being in on and um was it the the characters like the Firebrand, um, Neon, and Hawkman are fighting, uh, they, they're supposed to be fighting Mandrake, who's another DC villain. Um, so yeah, Neon is getting pulled into the, to like some black hole type of thing that's just trying to suck him and, and Bad Samaritan, which is another villain that was in this series. So they sucking them into like a black hole type of thing. And Neon and Bad Samaritan decide to work together. You know, they hate each other. They decide to work together and try to get themselves out of this black hole and go back to where Firebrand and Hawkman is when they find us fighting, um, Mandrake. Um, so yeah, they, they end up going back in there. They end up fighting the villain, and they end up defeating him. And uh, I do like how Neon did defeat him. He end up um, he end up using some magic. Because the thing is, he feeds on positive um emotions, I think. And uh, Neon was able to find a way to for him to feed on negative emotions and uh he he turned himself cold and it just he just wasn't um powered anymore because he's full of negative emotion himself so he's pulling his own energy so he was able to they was able to defeat him that way and and um so yeah they was able to feed him that way and um put him away and and that was pretty much it, I think. They, um, uh, I gotta try to remember what happens in this book. Um, but yeah, um, I, I gave this issue a 7.5 because, uh, it was just a okay conclusion to the book. I, I noticed it didn't, they didn't close everything because there was another villain that was supposed to be in the that was in the book but they didn't even bother focusing on that villain in this issue and 
I noticed there was some character development with Bad Samaritan, which is also a good thing. So I know he's a villain, but it looks like here he's um that now that Lean Neon helped him save his life from the black hole, he's thinking of turning to the other side and maybe possibly being good. Um so yeah, they um so yeah, it looked like they just defeated the villain and not sure they even got the the nymph metal isotope they were looking for throughout the whole entire series. But I guess that's, I guess that's not gonna be even mentioned. I just, I just, that's one thing I do hate about when series end so quickly. They just don't get to close all those gaps that they were um, focusing on. So yeah. I actually, I enjoyed this, um, this series for what it was. I know it wasn't that much of a deep story, but it was still enjoyable. Right, right. And I, I may have missed it. What, what did you say your score for this was? Oh, 7.5. Okay. Right, 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 right. Okay. Uh, so on to the best thing that we read <clears throat> this week. Um, did you read Die Number Two? No, I didn't. Okay. So you were cut in the same wool that I am, which was one of the key elements for um, us coming together to do this podcast, is I, we were both looking for someone who didn't just read DC or it didn't just read Marvel, but also read tier two and tier three publishers, uh, as well as the occasional indie. Um, this is a comic by image. Uh, in, in, in right now, um, you are reading a lot more than, than I do. Um, and that appears to be continuing to grow. All yeah. of this is, is a preamble to me saying, I am very reticent to ever say to you, here's the thing that you need to read. I would suggest if you have time, and maybe even if you wait till this comes out in yeah. trade, that you give this a look. Uh, because you, because you are a fan of Kieran Gillen, this is a Kieran Gillen book. Um, oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so, uh, this is published by Image, story by Kieran Gillen, art by Stephanie Hans, and letters by, once again, Clayton Cowles. Uh, the setup for this book, and, and the first time I heard of this was, uh, while listening to the iFanboy, uh, podcast, um, the setup for this book is very much similar to the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon from the eighties is apparently in youth, um, a bunch of, uh, preteens or early teenagers were, uh, taken and transported to a fantasy realm that was built on the context of a role playing game that they were playing. When the whole thing ended, they defeated the bad guy, but, uh, one of them, as they were teleporting out, one of them uh, was held back and, uh, and, I, and, and captured by the bad guy. Um, another one of them, who I think was holding on to him, uh, had lost her arm from the forearm down because uh, it was held back in that dimension um, because they, the two of them were holding hands. Um, so these are children that have been scarred. They are all now in their 40s, um, and many of them are parents. They've been married. They're either divorced or getting are going through a divorce. People are professors. They have lives. Um, and this one member of their party who was held back uh, teleports, is, is grown, also grown up now, and teleports them back to this dimension. Um, there was a whole thing of, like, they, the whole thing about the Grandmaster, the original villain, was that he wanted them to go into their own dimension and tell people about this world because apparently the shtick is if you're told about the world and you start thinking of it, then that gives them an access path by which to teleport you there. Um of course, Solomon, Saul, 
uh, already knew about that dimension. And in addition to teleporting members of this party, uh, he has also been teleporting other people that he knew from their childhood. And frequently they are showing up in the world as NPCs um, and, and, and other characters. Uh, whew, the, the story is just amazing. We, we, we don't have time to get into it. Um, but there are things like, uh, there was a, uh, there, there was a knight who during their uh, last journey, um, the, the lead, the leader of the party, who's a female character, uh, fell in love with him and he pledged his fealty to her, um, saying that he would not give up his obligation to her until he laid eyes on her again. When they returned to the dimension, uh, he, um, it turns out that he died three years after they left, and then his eyes rotted out a year after that, but he was still bound to the earth because of this promise that he made. And so basically his shambling zombie-like corpse actually catches up with her in this dimension um, and apparently pissed off and tortured because he can never fulfill his obligation because he's lost his eyes. So um, uh, there's a pretty amazing set of powers uh, be- be- between the rest of them. One of them is triggered He's called the Grief Knight, and it's triggered by sorrow. Uh, the leader of the party, her primary uh, power is to manipulate emotions. And so um, she uh, uh, actually manipulates him, his emotions to access his powers, even though he doesn't want to. Um, the art in this by Stephanie Hans is simply amazing. It was the best art that I saw this week, and this is why in many ways it was hard when I had to come and compare uh, other artists' work that to hers. It's an amazing book. At the end of the day, I rated it a 9.0, which is an extremely high score for me. Uh, I definitely think this is much in the way that I, I think people should read uh, the horror stuff that Cullen Bunn has done, particularly in the last few years on Harrow County, um, even if you don't get to it until you get to it in trade. Uh, this, at least so far, is shaping up to be a thing that I kind of feel is a must read. Um, so, Stephen, what was your best thing that you read this week? Um, the best thing I read this week was, um, it was Maz Morales, Spider-Man number two, which is from, is the writer is Saladin Amin. Um, the artist is Javier Goron, colorist is David Corral, Corral, and the letters is VC Corey Pettit. So, um, this issue is about, um, is, about Mas Wallace going to um he's fighting uh I mean he's he noticed he he's he runs into Rhino and he thought Rhino was like um robbing some banks or, or something like he's already caused havoc and um he finds out that he actually wasn't he's just um looking for uh He's looking for a bunch of um. Yeah, he's looking for his um. It was his niece, cause um he finds out that um. His well, his wife's niece. So, yeah, he finds out that his wife, his um, his, well, his um, cause the thing is with Rhino, his um, his ex. I mean, his wife had passed away, I think, in past issues of Spider-Man. I'm not quite sure, but they mentioned that in here. And his 
used to very close with his with her, um her niece. So um Miles Morales is I mean um Vinyl is trying to look for her because she's been kidnapped and um Miles I mean he Vinyl decides to ask um Miles if he can help him out in finding who kidnapped his his niece. So um it's also uh so yeah, Miles said that he would actually go help him. So they decided to come up with a uh a, a a different day to uh to meet up again and decide to plan this and how to how they can figure out who has been kidnapping these kids because um Miles has also noticed that uh a close friend of his that work that goes to school has also been kidnapped. I mean, is a is a close friend from the school that her brother I think has been kidnapped. So yeah, they're trying to figure out who's been kidnapping these kids, and um, there's also some um, Maz is going to his school days talking with um with Genki, and he talks with the the female student that her brother's been kidnapped, and um, he ends up um. Miles and, and Rhino end up going meet up with each other and, and they find out that it's Tombstone that's actually kidnapping the kids and it's putting some type of mutant, like some type of powers inside of them. I'm not sure if it's mutant powers, but they're being experimented on and he wants the kids to eventually work for him. Like they're, he's experimenting on, on Kid children putting powers in them and making them work for him and um so spider-man and and rhino ends up fighting tombstone and they all by the end of the issue but yeah by the end of the issue they end up running into captain america and that's where it cuts off so um i gave this issue a 9.0 because i really did enjoy this issue a lot. I know Saladin, he really knows how to write Miles. I really think that this is even better than what Bendis has written. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this issue. I'm thinking I'll be picking up normally because the first issue was alright, but the second one was really hit his high notes. And, um, I did like how Rhino is written to like, uh, He's not like some one-dimensional villain here. He's actually has some type of heart in here. And he's kind of being humanized here, which I do like a lot. And you get to see that he actually cares about his his former wife's um niece that he has some type of connection to. And I'm glad that Miles is able to see the good side of him and help help. Um, work with him and figure out who's been kidnapping these kids and I'm, I'm glad they find out who actually kidnapping these kids and um, so yeah I'm looking forward to it I'm wondering how the ratio with Captain America seeing Rhino and um, Miles working together I wonder how he's going to feel about that and see how that goes off from there Okay, very cool. Uh, I've got to have you push on because you're up next in the next segment and uh, walk me down your honorable mentions for this week. 
All right. Is my honorable mentions is Avengers of Super Sons number six. I gave it an eight point oh. It's just um Rob. It's just Robin and Superboy um working together, and they run into some new guy that has a bunch of outfits. I forgot his name, but I forget. I'll forget. Um, forget about that. Um, <laughs> what is it? Um, I gave Just League number fifteen a uh, eight point five, which is still continuing the the Hulk world issue. It was pretty much it was very fun. I actually enjoyed it. Um, I gave I gave Suicide Squad Black Files a eight, number three a eight point five as well. It deals with Katana and the and the chapter side of Sword in the Soul World with her husband, and she gets out. Um, fighting the cobra, and then there's another story with um, El Diablo and his team of Suicide Squad characters fighting Felix Faust's son. So it's a pretty fun issue. Um, then there's the Dreaming Number Five. I gave it an eight point five. It just deals with um, Lucien talking with um, some the girl that's was messing up the the dreaming world and now they're trying to fix it because Judge Gallows is there and trying to ruin it and she regrets ruining it in the first place so I thought that was interesting um so I gave it an 8.5 um Spider Gwen Ghost Spider number 4 I gave it 8.5 it deals with the aftermath of Spider Geddon she goes to tell Aunt May Mary Jane about Spider-Man Nord dying and she tells uh Spider Lady that, um, Sp- um, Spider-Man from the Great Britain Spider-Man had passed away. So yeah, she's just, just telling that. Um, is just dealing with grief, which I thought was interesting. Um, the Black Order number three, um, I gave it a 8.0. It deals with Black Dwarf and you get to see what type of character he is, which I actually enjoyed. Um, the Unbeatable Square Girl, Number 40, I gave it an 8.5. It deals with Squirrel Girl and the Super Scroll. I mean, not the Super Scroll, there's some Squirrel character they run into that's disguised as Squirrel Girl and they find out why she was, um, <clears throat> disguised as Squirrel Girl, which I thought was interesting. And she gets to live with some other Squirrel that's from Howard the Duck. Um, so yeah, they ever, they end up giving her a place to stay. Um, so I gave it 8.5. Um, Hit Girl number 12. I gave it a 9.0, which is the end. It finishes off the story with, um, her going to some Italian mob boss that's, um, it's some non, um, um, mob, mob boss that she ends up defeating. But at the end of the issue, uh, the girl that um, Hit Girl was working with ends up betraying her, seeing the skull. I'm not sure they could continue in that story, but um, it seems like this, uh, <clears throat> the series is going to go to a uh, season two type storyline and it's going to start from, as number one again with Kevin Smith, apparently. So I guess I could look forward to that. Um, I didn't, I did enjoy it though. I wasn't expecting the plot twist. Um, 
of the portrayal that goes on. Um, Kick Ass number eleven, I gave it eight point five. I I did like the Kick Ass fighting the mob bosses there, and it seems like her um her um what is it? Her sisters um yeah, her sisters finding out who she is and. I will see the, I guess we see the repercussions of that, the next issue, and I, the next issue is supposed to be the final one. So I'll see how that ends eventually. Uh, Dom, um, Domino number 10 was also a final issue. I gave it an 8.0 because it was just <clears throat> Domino fighting off with her friends, fighting off, um, Mojo, and they get to free long shot, and that was pretty much it. And, I'm looking forward to the next series that they're going to have. It's just called Hot Shots number one. And it was just basically all the Domino characters. I mean, all the characters that wasn't Domino, they're making a new team and it's going to be a mini series. And I'll see how that goes. That's about it. Okay. On my side, uh, honorable mentions this week were Justice League number 15, which I gave an 8.5 matching your score. Uh, we already talked about Captain Marvel number one, which I gave an 8.0. I believe you gave an 8.0 also. And uh, my third honorable mention was yeah. Batman number 62, um, which is continuing this whole unraveling the thing between Batman and Bane and Thomas Wayne, apparently, um, featuring a, uh, a, a, a full-length story of Batman having been captured by uh, Pig um, and then getting all the way and a lot of unexplainable things happening uh, through the course of the issue and then getting to the end. And it appears that who was actually in the uh, pig costume was Damien. Um, so, again, we're left a little bit confused about how all this thing ties together uh, for. Next week's polls, go ahead and run down your very lengthy list. All right. It's Detective Comics 996. Um, the Flash number 62, Titans number 33, Spider-Man Deadpool number 44, Superman number 7, Justice Dark number 7, The Batman Who Laughs number 2, Return of Wolverine number 4, Catwoman number 7, Supergirl number 26, Hawkman number 8, Scooby, Scooby Apocalypse number 33, Invaders number 1, Black Widow number 1, House of Spy, um, House of Whispers, number five. Shadow Man, number eleven, which is also final, which is the final issue. Um, Electric Warriors, number three. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder in Hell, number one. It didn't come out last week. Apparently, it got delayed, so I had to pick. I had to pick. I it got delayed to the next week, which I'm hoping it comes out this week. Um, so yeah, so. <clears throat> And also another issue that was also delayed was um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number, I mean, IDW 2020 number one. That, that issue was also delayed, so they got delayed to this week, so I'm hoping that they'll come out this time around. Um, and there's also Avatar to say as um, Path number one, which is from Dark Horse, which is the blue skin Avatar, because I know there's two Avatars. I mean, two series with Avatar, which is from Avatar Last Bender. And then there's Avatar to see his path, which is two different things. But they both are published by Dark Horse. I don't know how, how much confusion that can cause. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. 
Okay, for me, uh, I will also be reading, reading Detective Comics number 996 uh, on the road to Detective Comics 1000, Fantastic Four number 6, Red Hood Outlaw number 30, also reading Titans number 33, uh, Grim Fairy Tales volume 4 number 11, published by Zenoscope, uh, Albert Einstein Time Mason number 4, published by Action Lab, I will also be reading Batman Who Laughs number 2, Catwoman number 7, Conan the Barbarian number 2, I will uh, concurrently be reading along with you Black Widow number one, Return of Wolverine number four, and Justice League number seven. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, very quickly, Stephen, I did want to ask one question, and I've got we've got time for like a one-liner response from each of us. Um, what was very interesting to me this week is neither of us talked about Young Justice number one. Uh, oh, I didn't enjoy it. That's okay. why. <laughs> you, you you did not enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, and so in the same way, uh, I had uh, it, it. It it targeted a little too far below the belt for me, feeling kind of like an all ages yeah. book um, with a, a lack of complexity. Uh, the most interesting thing I thought in it is the whole story around Cassie, um, and I will be looking forward to seeing how that develops. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping there's some development because the first issue is just characters here and there this is like eye candy for a character well yeah and i didn't really like their character choices like the the team green the team green lantern the Ginny hex like i don't see those like adding a lot of meat maybe that'll change in the future but that was just kind of like i was very interested to see amethyst in it who is a 1980s character who is kind of a yeah she actually had a series in new 52 but only last eight issues right so we'll see how that goes uh, thanks so much, everybody, for joining in. Unfortunately, i got to get out of here as quickly as humanly possible. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining in for this week. Join us back here next week on Monday night at around 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, on behalf of the E2KG Network and Stephen Laura, uh, that's going to do it for us. Stephen, any ad- things that you want to throw out? Any plugs or anything? No, not really. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining in. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you back here next week. Until then, take care of yourselves and uh, stay safe out there. We're out.